0: Well, good morning. Uh, You can do better than that. Good morning. All right, there we go. Hey, uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. And the question is, what was the best Christmas gift you ever got as a child? Okay? So what is the best Christmas gift you ever got as a child? Uh, turn around to the people around you and name what that is, okay? What was the best Christmas gift you ever got as a child? Okay, now a bike is cool. I got one of this one year. A uh, basketball is cool. Uh, anyone say a DS? PlayStation 3? Uh, we. How about this one? Anybody remember Atari? Man, my parents got that for us. We only had two games, Combat and Space Invaders. And I thought I was in heaven, you know. And now, no one even... It took a long time just to find uh, Atari on Google. So uh, we found that. Well, I was just uh, thinking, not only was Atari a a big uh, Christmas present for me, but uh, that was more a family present. I was... Remembering one that I got when I was four or five, and uh, this was it, the Howdy Doody puppet. And uh, what was really, really cool is that a record uh, came with it, and the record, for those of you who are 20-somethings, they used to have this thing called a record player, and you would put your record on it. And I had a 45, and it was an instructional record on how to be a ventriloquist. And I would listen to that, and then it would tell you how to, you know, speak without necessarily having to open your mouth. And I thought my parents were the coolest. Now, thinking back on it, I think they just didn't want me to speak, uh, more than likely. Uh, Another present I got that I think was kind of lame that my parents got me uh, is this one. Any of you ever get one of those before, an Etch-a-Sketch? You know, the only thing that I ever mastered with an Etch-a-Sketch was stairs. Like one, and then up, and then over, and up, you know, just spin the two. That's the only thing uh, that I was able to do. But I remember one Christmas that my parents got me a great game, and we played it as a family and uh, with friends, and it was this game, Operation. And I actually brought... My game that now uh, my uh, kids play. And operation is, you know, there's a lot of skill needed uh, for it. You've got to have a steadiness of your hand, and you've got to be able to have some dexterity to, to really test your nerves. And so I looked through the cards last night, and I found a card, and this is the card for the operation. Uh, Sam's Adam's apple is not quite right. Remember it, but don't take a bite. Okay? So I thought we would try this. Would you guys like to do that today? See if I could do this? Okay? So we're going to try for his Adam's apple. And and this thing still gets me nervous. You You just know that something's not going to quite. So I try to... Oh, that's not the Adam's apple. That didn't work. <laughs> You're. I yeah. ah, forget it. All right, here we go. Let's try the Adam's apple.
1: Ah, jeez.
0: All right, one more. I'll try it. Ah, jeez. I ah, forget it. But, anyways, if you play this game long enough and you take the batteries out, you can win. Like. <laughs> Every single one of them, you know, but I can't really do that. But today, um, I don't want anyone's nose to light up red or to have an operation uh, per se, but I do want us this morning to talk about something that's key in this game and it's key in life. And that is, um, I want us to probe a little bit this morning. I want us to dissect. I want us to look at a little self-examination for each one of our lives. Now, if you remember, last week we talked about self-help, and we said that self-help is no help. Because the reality is, if you could help yourself with everything in your life, then you wouldn't need anyone. You wouldn't need God, you wouldn't need people, you wouldn't need anything. Because if you really could help yourself, you would have already done that. And if you could have, you would have, but it can't, so it won't work. In fact, I was kind of thinking about self-help is similar To decaf coffee, decaf coffee. It, um, you know, it looks like coffee, it smells like coffee, it tastes like coffee, but it has no punch. You know what I mean? There is no punch of caffeine uh, to give to you. And all of us need a power beyond ourselves. We need a power beyond just self-help. I need a strength that is greater. Than what I have to overcome my feeble kind of willpower. And all of us, folks, need supernatural power. And the reality is, is that supernatural power is given to all of us. All we have to do is turn to God, and He supernaturally will give us power when we need it. Um, It just doesn't come to pastors or just people who read their Bible, or pray every single day. But if we seek his power enough, he supernaturally will provide power for us. And the good news is, like I said, it's available to everyone. Anyone who surrenders to God, whatever your problem is, if you surrender it to God, he will be there to give you his power. Now, the problem is, many of us don't believe that, and so we keep on trying to self-help ourselves, and anxiety, and overwhelming kind of spirit comes and. it, all comes down to this passage of Scripture that we looked at last week in Proverbs chapter 18. And it says this, Arrogant people are on their way to ruin because they won't admit that they need help. If you want to get well, folks, the first thing you have to decide is you have to admit that you need help. Now, in our very first uh, teaching of this series, we talked about the sense of getting beyond denial And a starting point towards freedom. And kind of our first step that we want to look at is this one. And I thought we'd read it out loud together. Let's read this out loud. To start walking free, I must admit that I'm powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and my life has become unmanageable. That's how you start walking free, is that you have to admit that you're powerless Um, to control your tendency to do something that's wrong and that your life has become unmanageable. Now, kind of the key verse that corresponds uh, to this first step is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and it says this, We felt we were doomed to die and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves, but that was good. For then we put everything into the hands of God, who alone could save us. Like I said the last couple of weeks, that there really is power, folks, in powerlessness. There's power when we surrender, and we don't try to carry it all ourselves. When we simply humble ourselves and say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. I want to walk free. I want to break through the surface and actually breathe again. I want to get well. And then God is able to move in and bring healing to your life. Douglas Copeland, a novelist and author, he writes this about brokenness. He said, my secret is that I need God. That I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give. Because I'm no longer capable of giving. To help me to be kind. As I'm no longer capable of kindness. To love me. As I seem beyond being able to love. And folks, the first key that you have to realize is that you need God. It's more than just coming to church on Sunday, but you need God, and I need God, and we need Him daily. You know, some of you need to stop trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You need to stop trying to be strong for every other person. Because you can't do this thing called life on your own. You need to surrender to God to do whatever He leads you to do. And why does he want to lead? where does He want to lead you? He wants to lead you to a healthy life, to a life that is well. In fact, it's going to take continual resurrendering. It's a lie to think that once I start coming to church, once I turn my life to God, that I don't have to surrender anymore. No, no, no. It's a lie circumstances are going to hit your life, and daily, you've got to re-surrender. You've got to say, God, I can't take it today. I'm giving this to you. And then you trust him in that day. And when you feel it again, you say, God, I can't do it again. I re-surrender it to you. Sometimes it takes multiple times. And folks, this is true about me. I've got to do the same thing. You would be surprised at how many times I surrender within a day back to God, the things that I want to control. But this isn't a sign of weakness. This is a sign of strength. There's goodness, there's greatness in this. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He says this, You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and His rule. This is where you finally just kick yourself off the throne, and you say, God, you be on the throne, and I'm going to let God be God. Now, the second step towards uh, freedom we looked at last week deals with surrender, and uh, this is what it says. Let's uh, read this out loud together. I'm ready to surrender my life and will to the care and control of Jesus Christ. You finally get to that point where you just simply say, I have a willingness to believe that there is a God who can restore my sanity. And I'm not him. I'm not him. You ever wake up in the morning and you're kinda of droggy, you're still kind of tired, and you start buttoning your shirt, and you don't get the top button right? And then you go through the whole day, and like your shirt is jacked up. And people walk around and they're laughing at you, but they don't tell you that your shirt's messed up. They just look at you and go, What an idiot, you know? And they just, you know, do that. And if you don't get the top one right, then nothing else lines up. Now, if you get the top one right, have you ever noticed that? Every button then is fine. It's perfectly across where it needs to be. And I think the same thing is with God. He says, the very first thing you have to get right so that you don't have a jacked up life, that you're not messed up, is this. And he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He's like, get the first Thing right. Get this first one right. I mean, don't put yourself on the throne because if you put yourself on the throne, pretty soon you'll be tempted that you're Bruce Almighty or Evan Almighty or Chris Almighty or put your name in, fill in the blank, Almighty. But you've got to quit playing God. And like we learned last week, God is more than capable of being God. He doesn't need any help from you. He doesn't need any help from me. God is more capable of being God than you are. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's smarter. He's wiser. He sees things that we can't even see. And this is the cool thing about God, that even when we fall, His grace is sufficient to pick us up and pull us out and to help us continue on with the journey. Author and speaker, Lee Easel, uh, she had a very tough family background. Her um, dad was an abusive alcoholic. And uh, family life was really messed up. And one day she had a friend that invited her to go to a Billy Graham crusade. And so she went to this crusade, And uh, during that time, God kind of touched her life, and she surrendered her life to Christ. And she talks about how she was so excited, and she was filled with joy, and she felt this freedom, like in her life, for the first time that she had ever experienced before. And she had this new faith and this new excitement, and her friend uh, dropped her off, and she walks up to her house And she opens up the door, and there in the entryway, her father is drunk, passed out. She had to literally step over him to get into the rest of the house. And once she stepped over him, um, she said that she just prayed. She said, God, I thought things would be different. And then she said she felt God speak to her heart and said, Lee, I'm not a magician. I'm your master. Trust me. You see, God can't magically change your situation. But surrender is not about changing your situation. Surrender is about changing you. Surrender means that you're willing every single day to give your life to God and say, I choose you to run my life more than myself. For strength to get through life, to obey Him in the small things and the big things, to live according to His rules and His words. And you listen to the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden what happens is He begins to guide you from the inside out. When we surrender our life and our will to the care and control of Jesus Christ, like many of you did on Easter Sunday, what begins to happen is you break through some of the walls. The problem is, is that on Sunday we had these big walls, and some of you wrote things down. But already you've tried to accomplish the wall on your own. That's why I knew when we did this we would need 50 people praying for each one of you because you would have a temptation to go back. And I'm looking forward to a couple of weeks to see where God's power through prayer has broken down some walls. And when he does that, he changes us from the inside out. Let's look at again a, at a verse that we looked at last week in Philippians chapter 2 and the scripture says this. For God is working where? Where? God is working in you, giving you the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. We also saw last week in Ephesians 1, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 19. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead is in who? See, some of you are a lot more quieter on that one. Let me say that again. So the same mighty power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in who? You! Not just pastor boy. Okay? Not just... Chuck to Celebrate Recovery you know, Jimi Hendrix wannabe boy. But Christ is in you. And the reality is folks, is that some people you just don't believe it. You know it. You just don't believe it. The same power is in you. And the good news is you don't have to be alone anymore. That You weren't made to go this alone. You were made to do life with God. He's in you, and He wants to come out of you. But some of you hold His power back. And when we walk away from our self-centeredness, and we stop trying to control everything, and we stop trying to fix everything and make everything right and run everything in our life, when we stop doing that, when we begin to realize that we have an appropriate smallness as people and God has an appropriate hugeness as an almighty God, that's when life begins to make sense. And we start living in the awareness of God's ways really are the best ways. And that God is for us in this thing called life. You see, some of you, you really need to hear that this morning. That God is for you. One of my favorite passages of scriptures that I read uh, several years ago that just stuck to me, and you should memorize it, it's Romans 8.31. It's not in your notes. Romans 8.31, so you have to write it down. But it says if God is for us, who can be against us? You can think of a lot of people that are against you, but there's one person who's always for you, and that's God. He's always for you. You know, I hope that you're starting to realize that these steps that we've been uh, talking about over these last few uh, few weeks is not just people who are recovering from addictions or pains or hurts or hang-ups or habits. But this is for everybody because we are all meant to live in this kind of freedom. And I really want to celebrate with many of you who have been doing the steps and going to celebrate recovery and making your life better. I'm so pumped and proud that many of you have walked away from your old life and you're walking in a new direction and you're starting to see change as God works in your life. I'm so excited for the future of many of our people who are doing the steps of celebrate recovery because I have seen people set free. I had a guy yesterday, I don't know how to change any of my uh, you know, water softener, water heater, any of that kind of stuff, But a guy came and he knows how to do all that kind of stuff. And he did it. And he's been sober for four years. And I see the joy. I see the love. I see the newness in his life. And his family's been changed. Why is that? Because he surrendered to the one who knows him and loves him best. And this is the cool thing. Some of you have some wasted years in your life. And the scripture actually says this, that God will actually give you back wasted years. Nobody else can do that. Only God can give you back wasted years. But you know, I was thinking about it this week. I'm not only excited for those folks, but I'm also excited for those of you, especially our students, who are following God's path and who honestly can say, I've never spent time in rehab. I've never stolen from my family or friends. I've never woke up in a stranger's bed. I never passed out on the side of the road. I've never looked at porn. I've never smoked a joint. I was sexually pure when I got married. Because I don't care what the world says. I don't care what your friends say. There is freedom in walking with God. And it's a freedom that you can't get unless you walk with Him. And so I'm just as grateful and happy for individuals who walk that walk. Now, here it is, folks. God's ways are best. It's just plain and simple. God's ways are best. You want to run free like you've never run before? Then you run with God. The best way to live. You, de- you breathe more deeply. You laugh more fully. You make a difference in your life. And you won't hurt yourself or a whole bunch of people when you walk with God. It's really true. God's ways are best. Now, the third step to freedom, and this is what I want us to really take home today, is this step that you can't pass up. And this is the third step to experience freedom. Let's read this out loud together. I will examine myself with fearless honesty, confessing my faults to myself, to God into someone I trust. Now this is huge. This is like a huge step. This is an inside out kind of step. This is the step where you come clean. This is the step where you really get honest with yourself. You get honest with God. You take off the mask and you say this is me, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and you tell yourself the truth. Jesus said this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It sets you free. Truth sets you free. You know, every retailer, every successful business that I know of, knows the importance of taking an inventory. What's in the store? What's in the warehouse? How much is in the bank? How's the morale of the employees? What's really true about our situation right now? And businesses that don't take an inventory and they just let things come, uh, you know, pile up and they never think about anything like that, those businesses don't make it. My friends uh, who have been recovering uh, in Celebrate Recovery or AA or NA, there's a step within it that is called taking a fearless moral inventory. And this is a journey, basically, at just trying to figure out truth in your life. And this is a step that God doesn't just want people in recovery, but he wants all of us to take. Now look at the payoff if you do this. Psalm 32, 1 and 2 says this. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived Incomplete, honest. You know, some of us have had our lives shaped by a shame-based family. Shame was just a part of our family. Or maybe a church environment that we grew up in as a kid was all about shame. And we're afraid to look inside. In fact, some of us were raised in uh, families that were such about shame that we just hid everything. We hid everything, we let nothing come to the surface. And we just stuff all that stuff down. Now for others of us, it's that sense of self-worth. It's so fragile. Or our perfectionism is such a big part of us that we literally kind of get a stomachache when we think about having to internally look at ourselves of the good, the bad the ugly in our life. We don't want to go down that road. We don't like inside journeys. And yet this is the truth, folks, that the deepest longing of every single human being is to know and to love. That someone knows me completely and someone loves me no matter what. Because a love like that, if you had a love where someone knew you so intimately and they loved you no matter what, that could change your life. And there is a love like that. I like what Richard Rohr, a Catholic priest, says. He writes this. He'll come up on the side screen. Because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be, at the same time, the beginning of our healing. Remember our uh, key verse that was in Isaiah uh, chapter 57? The verse for the entire series, it says this, I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. The words of praise will be on their lips. May they have peace both near and far for I will heal them all. What God's saying here basically is, don't be afraid. I know everything about you already. I know everything. No matter what it is, I already know. I already know your character flaws, your defects, I've seen everything, and I still want to heal you. Friends, again, some of you just need to know this morning that God is for you. He's always in your corner. God is for you. So some of you are like, oh, okay, well, this sounds good. Um, Maybe I'll go ahead and I'll try this. How do I go about doing this? How do I go about this whole moral inventory? Well, there are a few things that you're going to need to examine yourself. First of all, you're going to need some time. Time away, and you need one particular item, a pen, or a scalpel, you might say. And then, all of a sudden, you begin to write down the things in your life that have separated you from God. You just write them down. Because this is what I found, that if I don't write things down, folks, nothing changes in my life. It's like uh, some of you... uh, wives. Understand this. You give your husband the list to go to the grocery store. And he's like, I don't need a list. Oh, he needs a list. Because if he doesn't write those things down, if you don't write those things down, he doesn't know what to get. Same way with your own life. If you don't write things down, you don't change. So the next thing you need is a notepad. You need something to write it down on. And then finally, What you have to do is you have to write down specific sins. So not just general thoughts. You ever do that before? I have. You go to God and you're kind of like, I really don't want to get into this very much. So God, I just want to give a a confession of my specific sin of lying. Sorry, I'm a liar. That's it. And you're done. And God's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now, I know everything that you lie about, but why don't you kind of come clean on this? Now, God doesn't need the specific sin. You do. Because if you don't write it down specifically, you don't change. So this is the difference. God, forgive me for lying. God, forgive me for lying to my wife that I told her that the reason why I wasn't going to be home tonight is because I was going to be working late at work when the reality is I went down to the bar and had two or three beers while I watched the game because I don't want to deal with it. You see the difference? There's a very different thing on specific sin. So once you have a pen, once you have a notepad, then you're opening yourself up to God, then you ask questions. You say, God, what are some of the things I feel guilty for? Whatever that is, you write it down. What are the things I have regrets about? What are some of the things that I've done that have really hurt people? God, who some of the people that I've hurt in life? What are some of the faults that are in my life? What are some of the things, God, that I really need to change? If I could change some things, I'd be so much healthier. And as I said, folks, don't be scared about this because when you do this, you don't do it by yourself. God is right there. He is willing to walk this path with you. You just ask, God, what is the honest truth about me? I think a great scripture Uh, to use in this whole um, moral inventory is Psalm 139. And it says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me, anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Folks, I take that psalm And I pray it on a regular basis. Rarely is there more than two days go by in my life in which I don't say, God, search my heart, know my heart. God, is there anything that offends you that's in my life? I want to know what it is. Please tell me now. And he'll speak to your soul when you ask him that. Now, let me also say this. When you start to do this and you're surrendering each day, you are going to want to run towards denial. Uh, All of a sudden, God will say, okay, let's have this moral inventory, and you start writing it down, and then all of a sudden, you start kind of saying, I'll go back to denial. Well, you know, that wasn't such a big deal, what I said. I'm not really like that most of the time. I probably don't need to write that one down. I mean, that's really not a problem anymore. That is an acceptable cultural sin. You know what I mean? Everybody's doing it. But folks, instead of doing that, be fearless. Go deep and just be ruthless. It won't be easy, but God says He will walk it with us. And folks, you want healing in your life? You do this stuff. It's the greatest healing that I can think of. In fact, when we first started Celebrate Recovery, Chuck and I were the only two people that knew about what was going on, and we did a spiritual moral inventory. He and I, all the stuff in our life, everything that has gone the good, the bad, the ugly we knew it. We went through the steps, and I've done it several times in my life. The truth of God's Word says this, folks people who conceal their sins do not prosper. But those who confess and renounce them find mercy. This is what I've learned in this thing called life. The sin you most want to conceal, the sin you want to conceal the most, is the one you want to reveal the most. The sin that you want to conceal the most is really the one that God wants you to reveal the most. And if the goal is walking free, What's the point, then, of hiding anything? Friends, stop hiding. Take off the mask. Do this kind of inventory daily so that you don't have garbage piling up in your inner world. Now, I'm not going to ask you this question because I don't want to put anyone on the spot, but I wonder how many of us have trash compactors in this place, okay? I hate trash compactors. You know why I hate trash compactors? Because every single person that I've ever known who's had a trash compactor, when you open that thing up, it stinks. And pretty soon, it leaks. Because you're trying to compact everything. And what I like to do is take my garbage out daily. God, I don't want this stuff to be stuffed down in me, so just show me Where I messed up yesterday so I don't have to carry it with me. And then I take down a pen and a notepad and I write down whatever that specific sin is. Now again, folks, I never ask you to do anything that I don't do. This morning, I woke up, I read uh, Psalm 139 at the office, and I sat there for a couple minutes. God, search me and try me. Is there anything that offends you? You think he had an answer? Surely not, not the holy pasta. Yeah, yesterday. I've been training for the mini marathon. It's in two weeks. Yesterday was my last long run. I ran 11 miles. And I'm not talking like a wuss 11 miles. I'm talking about 8 minute, 3 second miles. When I got done at the end, I was walking like this. I mean, I was so sore. They call it acidosis or something like that. You know what that means? Pain. Just pure pain. And I get in the car and I start driving home and I'm sweating so profusely and you can't tell from up here, but the lens in this glass right here is barely holding on by a thread. You know why? My daughter stepped on it yesterday. So I'm driving, there's sweat coming all over me, this thing pops out, I can't see the road, I literally have to pull uh, the Suburban across and get all down. I'm thinking, I'm too old for this. (laughs) Finally, I get home, I barely walk up the stairs, I get into the shower, and we have this shower that's like, for older people, like a, a, a person with a handicap, it has a little seat, I sat down. I could get up. I mean, the water is like falling down on me, and I'm like, I really can't move. I think I hear something, and I think it's my wife, Jennifer, so I yell out, Jennifer, come! Jennifer, come! Guess what? There was no Jennifer. So finally, I surrender in that moment. God, just get me up! So I get up, I get out, I get my clothes on, I lay on the bed, and I literally can't move. My wife Jennifer uh, comes up, she sees me in my bad state. She goes, how was the run? I go, what do you think, you know? And she's like, well, what can I do for you? I'm like, man, if you could give me some cheese and crackers and some Gatorade and water, oh, you know, it'd be great. She goes, hey, I got even one better than that. I'll go ahead and I'll massage your feet. I was like, oh, what a saint. Thank you, Lord, for this woman. She starts massaging my feet. Now, I told her in the midst of it, I said, you know, my Achilles kind of hurts too. And uh, she's like, oh, okay, let me see that. And all of a sudden, I think she went doctor mode on me. And then all of a sudden, she wasn't so sensitive. And she goes, wham, on this Achilles right here. I mean, pain shot up my leg. I started yelling at her. The kids were trying to take a nap. They're like confused. There were a few words that I am not... You know, very thankful for, but they came out and she stopped talking, went downstairs, got the Gatorade, brought everything up, sat it on the bed, and that was it. This morning, folks, when I did Psalm 139, you know what God said? That's what offends me. And so this morning, I don't want trash in my marriage to go two or three days. And so I asked for forgiveness. And everything was cleaned up. Let me speak to the men just for a second. Some of you want to be leaders in your home. You want to be the spiritual leader of your home. Scripture talks about that. If you want to lead, lead by asking for forgiveness first. Lead by forgiving first. Lead in the ways that Scripture tells us. And the freedom and healing that comes to your life is amazing. Now, as you unpack this, there are two things that you want to avoid. First one's this. Don't compare yourself with other people. It's a tendency that we all have to compare ourselves to other people. I mean, you're sitting there and you're writing all this stuff down, and all of a sudden you're like, I really think I have a problem But it's not as bad as Brent, you know? Or, you know, I know I have this issue of controlling. You ought to see my mother, though, you know? I play around with websites that I shouldn't be on, but it's not as bad as the guys at work. Maybe I can't control my drinking, but at least I'm not laying on the street like a drunk. Now, listen. This fearless uh, moral inventory is this, folks. It's for you. It's not for anybody else. It is for you. When I compare myself to anyone else, all of a sudden then, Chris Almighty comes out. Because I can always find somebody that's not where I'm at, but we laid that crown down last week. You see, folks, you've got to write the truth down about you. You accept responsibility. You don't try to rationalize it. You don't say, oh, that happened a long time ago. That was just a phase I was going through. Everybody does it. Don't minimize it. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. The second thing that you need to make sure you avoid is this trap. Don't blame other people. Don't blame other people. I heard about a guy who was wearing his uh, wedding ring on the wrong finger. And his buddy came up to him and he goes, "Dude, you're wearing your wedding finger or your wedding ring on the wrong finger. It's on the index finger. It's the wrong finger." And the guy said, "Yeah, I know. I married the wrong wife." Now, did it ever cross your mind that you might be the wrong spouse yourself? You say, yeah, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It might be true. It might actually not be your fault. But you can't control that. You can't change that person. Only God, with His cooperation, can make that happen with the person's cooperation, can make that happen. Besides, this inventory, folks, is not about them. It's about who? You! You have to come to grips with your own stuff. First John 1, eight says this, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If you're not finding things to write down, you're just living in a world of illusion, and you're headed towards denial. And if you keep saying to myself, well, if I just had the right husband, if I just had the right wife, if I just had the right relationship, if I just had the right job, if I could just change bosses, if I could just change towns, if I could just trade my family in, then everything would be fine. No, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be fine at all. Because no matter what you take, to any other relationship or any other town or whatever, if you haven't cleaned that stuff up now, you just take it with you. The old adage really is true. Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. So you just need to be open to God's truth and love. And you write down a specific list without comparing, without blaming, and get honest with God. And for instance, you do this, you've got to focus just on your own things. I mean, those character defects like envy and pride and selfishness, insecurity, bitterness, unresolved conflict. If you just resolve some of the conflict in your life, you know how much freedom you'd have? And I've learned is that God will bring you to the surface and help you to breathe if you just won't stuff it down. Because He knows that's where healing really starts. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says this, The Lord's light penetrates the human heart, exposing every hidden motive. And as that starts, and as things begin to be exposed, all kinds of things are going to start... Flooding into your spirit. You're going to start feeling all kinds of emotions if you take this step seriously and you start writing stuff down. But the cool thing is once you get it down on paper and you release it to God, it's gone. You don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to hold on to it anymore. Now let me just say this now. There's a big difference between being truly sorry for something and just being sorry that you got caught. Did you get that? There's a big difference between truly sorry for something and just being sorry because you got caught. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow which lacks repentance, in other words, that's what repentance means, a desire to change, that just results in spiritual death. It's saying, if you're not honest, if you don't come with a repentful heart, if there's not a desire to turn away from the old and to walk toward God, you just stay in the spin cycle. And you'll keep spinning for days and months and weeks and years. You just keep spinning. But if you're willing to say, here's the truth, God, no holding back. I'm completely honest with you, and I want to change. God says I can do amazing things with a life and a heart like that. God can take you in a totally new direction. And God is a God of grace. He loves to pour grace. He loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There's nothing you can do to make God love you less. But he says, you'll understand my love more when you surrender yourself totally totally to me. Step three again says this, I will examine myself with fearless honesty, confessing my faults to myself, to God, and to someone that I trust. Now most of you up to this point are like, okay, that's good, I'll confess to God. I don't have a problem, uh, you know, sharing this stuff with myself, but why do I have to bring somebody else into this? You know, like, who cares about bringing somebody else? Why do I have to tell another person? In fact, some of you right now are like, I'm not doing that. Some of you right now, you're like, got your hands crossed, you're like, I'm not doing that. It's not a part of my personality. In Fact Bunch, when you did that whole Christmas thing and wanted me to talk to somebody else about my favorite, it freaked me out. Not doing it. Well, folks, if you want to surrender and really let go, then you've got to begin to start doing things that God wants you to do. And God says, I know it's going to be awkward. I know it will be uncomfortable. I know that it may not feel the best. I know that you might fear rejection. But when you come clean, that's where healing comes. Scripture says this. Really important scripture. Some of you should mark it, underline it. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what? What? Healed. Healed. So when you confess your sin to God, he forgives you immediately. He says, I forgive you of everything. I forgive you. You don't have to carry this anymore. If you want healing, though, in your life, you have to confess it to somebody else. Now, who is that person? Well, you just don't pick any, you know, Joe Schmo out there. You don't pick somebody who... uh You know, as a gossip Facebook person who every time you've ever said anything, they're like, we all know those people. Maybe some are in here. I don't know. But you want to pick somebody who you know will be honest with you. Someone who loves you. Someone who has your best interest at heart. Somebody who really wants to see you get well. You want to pick someone who's a follower of Christ so that they understand what you're doing with this. And I'm telling you, folks, if you do this, things change. If you're like, I don't have anyone like that in my life, then you should come to Celebrate Recovery on Thursdays because once you work the steps, eventually you'll find someone that you can share that with. Folks, there is some big time relief in this step. I can't tell you the amount of healing that happened in my life about five years ago when I did this step. I just don't carry that stuff anymore. And it's a step that you need to take. Now, we don't have time to do all of that step today, but uh, I want to give you a chance to at least begin the process. And so what I'd like you to do is on the back of your um, program teaching outline, there's a piece up there, if we can pull it up real quick, that gives you just three questions. I will examine myself with fearless honesty. What, when, and who? And all we're going to work on right now is uh, the what part, and then you can work on these other two later. But what is it, God, that offends you? And you write it down. You don't have to share it with anyone else, but just ask God here in a second. And the when part is when are you going to do the entire inventory? Because we don't have enough time right now. But when can you do that? Tonight? Monday night? Oh, Thursday morning. I always have some free time. I could just spend a half hour and just ask, God, you know, these are the things I regret. These are the things I feel guilty about. Write that stuff down. And then finally, who? Who's the person that I'm going to take that step and say, hey, can I share this with you? You don't have to do something with them forever, but just everybody needs one person that they can just reveal Things to. So today we're going to share communion. And communion at itself really is about examination. You examine your life. And you say, God, is there anything that offends me or offends you that's in me? And whatever that offensive thing is, you write it down and you say, God, I don't want to take that to your table because I want to receive your grace and your forgiveness at your table. And so, just answering that question of what? What is it that offends you? And you may not be able to do everything right now, but you can write something down. And you release that. You surrender it to God. And then when you're done with that, I would invite you to come to one of these tables and to tear off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and take it and eat. And when you do that, Whatever you just wrote down on that piece of paper, whatever God says, this offends me, you're forgiven. Right now, today, whatever that thing is, it could be forgiven today. And then when you're done with that, I'd like you to come back and we're going to close with a song called the Healer. That we really want God's healing to be within us as we leave from this place. So take a couple minutes right now. Let me lead us in prayer. Then you take a couple minutes. What is that thing, God, that offends you? Let's pray. So, God, I ask right now that you'd come through the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you reveal to each person in this place anything that is offensive to you? Help us to write it down, God, to name it. And then we can go to these tables and we can receive your forgiveness and your grace. So come Holy Spirit right now. I pray that you would lead people to write things down and to be freed up today.
1: Yeah. And heal a mad disease in I trust. is impossible with God.
0: Uh, Let's just, let's pray now. Uh, God, we uh, thank you for this day. God, nothing is impossible for you. God, I pray that people really would uh, leave from this place They'd set a time, God, to just do this moral inventory, get it all out, God, and the freedom that would come because of just placing everything out there, God, would be just so amazing. I've seen it in my life and so many other people. And so I ask, God, that you would give them the guts this week to uh, write down what it is that it separates them, when they can do this, and who it is that they could share this with. God, I pray that there would be freedom that truly comes uh, this week in people's lives as they take these steps. So uh, be with us as we leave from this place, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.